The Lord be with you. A reading of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. <laughs> Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If, you're, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, in this Home Free series, what we're doing, of course, is looking at Israel's exodus from Egypt because it illustrates to us that there's a much greater slavery than brick-making in Egypt. But there's also a greater freedom in Jesus. And so, so far, what we've talked about is leaving the slavery of fear for the freedom that faith gives. Last week, leaving the slavery of running the rat race for the freedom of the Lord's rest. And tonight, leaving the slavery of sensuality for the freedom of self-control. Now, you got to ask yourself, who would worship a golden calf? I mean, I love steak as much as the next guy, but a, cow, a cud-chewing cow as my supreme being? What? But you see, the Egyptians worshipped a bull god named Apis, and he symbolized strength and fertility, <laughs> power and sex. Ah, now that's kind of appealing. And since God and Moses hadn't been seen now in almost two months, even though they had promised to obey God in everything, even that first commandment, you shall have no other gods, the Israelites decide they're going to go back to a god of Egypt. God had removed Israel from Egypt, but, but Egypt still needed to be removed from Israel. And you know what? There's a lot of Egypt in all of us. See, it's not really about worshiping an idol. An idol is just a pretext, a ploy, a front, a sham. It's an excuse to be your own God, to do whatever you want to do. So when it says that they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, read between the lines. It's innuendo. Their worship was a frat party. And let's be honest, that sounds kind of tantalizing. That sounds like our entire hedonistic culture. Indulge your sensuality. Please your senses. Oh, what you can touch and feel, what you can see and taste and hear and smell. Whatever brings you immediate bodily sensation and pleasure and gratification, that seems so much better 
so much easier than an invisible God that we don't even know where he is. And a God who also seems rather oppressive, restrictive to my personal pleasure with all those rules and laws. I want to be free from all of that. I want a license to do whatever I want to do. But is that true freedom? It says that the people then had broken loose to the derision of their enemies. They were so wild that they had outpaganed the pagans. They were out of control. And the Hebrew word here for broken loose is para. You can hear in it that the same title, Pharaoh, comes from the same word. See, they had a new Pharaoh now, a new slave master. They were no longer in control. They were slaves to their sensual desires. And that's what happens. What seems like freedom at first becomes slavery. We indulge until we're out of control. We moderns call it addiction. St. Peter writes this, They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. The Israelites wanted to imitate the golden calf, what they perceived as power and virility. They wanted to act like an animal, give in to every carnal desire and urge and instinct and impulse. But animals can't control themselves. I mean, we can control animals, but they can't control themselves. And you know what? We're not animals. We're humans. And yes, that carnal desire for sensual indulgence runs deep in us. It can surge through our bodies like electricity. But don't we also have a deeper desire? The desire for intimacy, to know and be known, to love and be loved. But if all I ever do is act like an animal, indulge my sensuality, use others for my own gratification, then I'm never going to find that intimacy, not with God or with anybody. Only humans, not animals, only humans are called into a covenant relationship with the Lord. Only humans can then mirror that covenant relationship with each other. Only humans can be a sincere gift of self. Only humans can love. But you can't love, you can't be a gift of yourself if you're not in control of yourself, not in control of your desires. Does a man love his wife if he desires and goes after a lot of other women? No, that's adultery. Do I love God if I go after a lot of other gods and desire them, which actually is just making myself my own God, right? No, that's idolatry. The problem is not the body. As if the body is bad because it's sensual, even our bodily pleasure itself is not bad. The problem is when those sensual desires control your heart. And as I said a few weeks ago, if other desires control your heart, then you're not in control of your heart, and then it's not yours to give away. 
to God or to anyone else. The dignity of humans is this. Both your body with all of its senses and your heart, your soul, are meant for God. You, the whole person, you are meant for God. And if you want to be free from the slavery of sensuality so that you can love God with every ounce of your being, then the way of freedom is self-control. Paul writes this in Galatians 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, they're right next to each other. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, frat parties, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. And the word for self-control literally means in power, that you are in power, you are in charge, you are in control, you are in possession of your heart. So how do we gain that control? First of all, let me just cast this vision. The death and the resurrection of Jesus means we have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of the day that our body with all of its sensuality and our hearts, our souls will be raised up and be one again and our, everything, our whole being will be once again and finally completely free to be dedicated to God. We will love him with all that we are. That's what's coming. That's the vision. But until then, it's a battle. It's going to be a crucifixion for us. That's why Paul says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. The golden calf episode then teaches us how to be crucified, what that means. First of all, we must purge that little bit about the Levites coming to the aid of Moses and purging the evil in their midst with their swords. Now, first of all, doesn't that sound a bit excessive? But it actually shows us how drastically we must deal with our sin as it breaks out of control. We have to purge it. We have to cut it off. We have to kill it in ourselves. We have to stop it, quit it, rid ourselves of it. And that begins with admitting it. And Jesus has given us just the sacrament for this, confession. But second, we must also persist. It's right after the golden calf episode that God commands the Israelites to daily make animal sacrifices. Now again, that seems so excessive and bloody. Why would God do that? Because see, these are the animals that the Egyptians venerated and worshipped as their gods. So Israel now had to persist 
to resist the temptation to go back to those Egyptian gods. They had to keep killing those gods and their desire for them. As Father Luther teaches us in our small catechism about baptism, he says, baptism shows us that the old Adam in us, which is the God of yourself, should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all sins and evil desires, and a new man should daily emerge and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. There's the new daily sacrifice. Now, a recovering addict would be the first to tell you that these are essential steps. Purge it from your life and persist. Battle daily. But we need more than that. Did you notice how Moses mediated and interceded for Israel? He said this, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses loved these ridiculous people. Why, who knows? But he loved them so much. He was willing to give his own life for them. Blot me out instead of them, Lord. But what Moses couldn't ultimately do, Jesus does. He takes our place. He intercedes for us. He mediates. He prays as you heard, Father, forgive them. He is our freedom. He gives us freedom from our sins so that we have freedom for love. So here's the last thing. We have to purge. We have to persist. persist, And we got to pray, friends. Come to our mediator. Beg him for mercy and forgiveness and strength and endurance. Pray that he gives you his Holy Spirit and that that Holy Spirit then gives you that fruit of self-control. Pray that Jesus would set you free from whatever has that grip on your heart. Pray. We have to pray. Because Jesus can set us free. Jesus does set us free. As we gather our offering tonight, pray this song. <laughs>